The information shared in this podcast does not necessarily represent EVRMA's stance. These podcasts are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. Hi, welcome to Fertilipod, a podcast by EVRMA. Dr. Andres Ritz. Welcome back to Fertilipod, the podcast where we discuss current topics and the latest research in the field of reproduction with some of the world's leading experts. Let's get started. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing immunology and its impact on fertility. To discuss this, we've invited a very prominent researcher and clinician in this particular area, Dr. Diana Alexandru. Dr. Alexandru is a physician at EV Madrid, where she serves as consultant clinical immunologist physician. And she's also an assistant professor of microbiology in the division of immunology at the Complutense University in Madrid, and a professor in the master's degree in human reproduction at Rey Juan Carlos University. She received her MD from Carol Davila University Medical School in Bucharest in Romania. She also did residency after that for clinical immunology in San Carlos Hospital in, in Madrid, after which she also obtained her PhD. She also has not one but two fellowships in immunology, one in reproductive immunology from Madrid and one from the immunology department of the Royal Free Hospital in London in the UK. Dr. Alexandro has been invited to speak nationally and internationally and has authored and contributed to over 50 peer-reviewed publications published chapters and abstracts. She also serves on the editorial board for Obstetrics and Gynecology International Journal, and also as an ad hoc reviewer for several other important journals. She's one of the world leading experts in immunology and how it impacts fertility. And we're so, so happy to, to have her here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Alexandro. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast and I'm very happy to discuss a little bit more about reproductive immunology. It's a pleasure having you. We're, we're happy that you're here. So you let's, let's get started. You're an immunologist by training. How does an immunologist end up working in, in reproductive medicine? Um, it's a good question. You know, our immune system is very important for, for several reasons. To defend us against pathogens, uh, to tolerate our own tissues and not attack, and for women, of course, to help our reproductive function. And immunologists are often treating patients with autoimmune disorders, which is when the immune cells attack healthy tissue. We all know that the presence of these immune diseases have a negative impact over the reproductive outcomes, increasing the risk of miscarriages or the obstetric complications. And immunology is the science studying this immune system and about making sure our immune system is functioning properly. So the reproductive immunology is a very interesting area and this part, this branch of immunology, the reproductive immunology, caught my attention during my immunology training. It's a very interesting field. We were talking before, before we started recording how things have changed in the, in the last few years since you started in Madrid, how you, 
used to have a couple days a month where you saw patients while you were doing your fellowship. And then that evolved to a, a full-time double booked clinic essentially and how busy you've become. How, how has our understanding of the role of immunology and reproduction changed over time in the last few years? Where did this start? Where, where are we now? You know, um, our human reproduction is a notoriously inefficient process. Even when the pregnancy is achieved, a loss can occur. And if we compare with other species, um, we can see how bad we are from a reproductive point of view because we, we uh, produce a lot of uh, aneuploidy abnormal embryos comparing with other species. And this is the main cause of these uh, embryo losses. But apart from that, there are several other maternal reasons which could induce a negative result even when the pregnancy is achieved. And the disruption of the maternal immune tolerance have been invoked as one possible cause of this reproductive failure. We can think about miscarriages or implantation failure when a good embryo, embryo, uh, euploid embryo, has been transferred with no result. And the original theory was that the immune system was an enemy in charge to induce damage on the embryo, blocking its invasion into the maternal tissue and leading to a fetal cell death. And at that point, there was a theory that immune suppression was required to accept and not disrupt the presence of this stranger or allogenic fetus. And years ago, um, there were described a subset of maternal immune cells known as natural killer cells. And because of that bad name, natural killer cells, uh, those cells uh, have been blamed as the main immune reason of embryo damage. And at the beginning, the tests were made uh, in peripheral blood, testing those bad natural killer cells, and um, associating their number or percentage with some kind of uh, inducing harmful effect over the placentation with the embryo death. Um, since then, we are talking about uh, 30 or maybe 40 years ago. Since then, uh, a lot of researches um, have been made in, uh, in this amazing uh, reproductive immunology area. And right now we have a lot of new knowledge regarding uh, the implication of the immune cells into our reproduction. And we know right now that natural killer cells circulating in our peripheral blood are um, cytotoxic, of course. They have that killing uh, properties against, but not against a healthy embryo. They are essential in defending the body against viruses, as the SARS-CoV-2 viruses It's the first line of our defenses against this um, virus, the COVID disease. And um, there aren't any property to induce any kind of damage against the normal and healthy embryos. And right now we know that those cells are completely different from the uterine 
immune cells which are there at the uterine lining to help our embryo implantation. And despite of having the same name, natural killer cells, the uterine NK cells are completely different because they are not able to kill any healthy cell or not even the embryo. On the contrary, are there to help are now recognized as fundamental to achieving an embryo implantation and successful pregnancies. But yes, were initially attributed a bad reputation. So the immunology have, has been changed in the last, let's say, de decade uh, because of the new findings. And right now we know that the complexity at the maternal and fetal interface, the immune complexity, it's huge. Even in the last uh, two years um, have been described other two population of natural killer cells and right now are three population there. And all uh, those population have an important role in the embryo implantation. Because, you know, the unique feature of placentation in humans is a deep invasion of the placental cells, the trophoblast cells, uh, must to go into the decidua in order to establish that placenta, which will fulfill the embryos or the fetal needs during the whole pregnancies. And that invasion is necessary to transform the uterine spiral arteries, ensuring an adequate maternal blood supply into the intervious space for a normal fetal growth and development. And for that a proper development of the placenta, the cells of the fetal trophoblast must infiltrate the maternal tissue, the decidua, and transport the placental bed spiral arteries during the first weeks of pregnancies. This ensures sufficient oxygen and nutrients supply to promote a normal fetal growth and development. And this invasion to the uterus by the trophoblast should not be excessive since this will generate risk for the mother. And these processes are controlled very well by the mother's uterine immune cells, but not in the bad way as killing some, some embryo cells. This control is like, okay, I identify foreign cells, but those foreign cells are good cells and embryo cells. And those cells are in charge to help this invasion, to help the migration of the trophoblast cells into the maternal lining, but at the same time controlling how deep the invasion will be. Because too much invasion could be dangerous for the mother and too short invasion will be um, dangerous for the future growth of the embryo and the fetus. So the immunology changes from the bad things induced by the immune cells against the embryo as um, a killer cells and immune suppression to our friend in the reproduction. Right now we know that the immune system cells are there to tolerate the embryo, to help that implantation, to, um, to take care of the embryo during the whole pregnancy, the 40 weeks of pregnancy. And 
we need to know how to deal our immune system in order to promote that tolerance and not going against our immune system in order to protect our pregnancy. This is a very, very big change. And this change happened in the last decade. This is such an interesting perspective, right? That this is not only about about the mom sort of tolerating or, so to speak, not rejecting the embryo, but rather it appears to be more of a matter of of balance, right? Of really kind of using the immune system to regulate how much invasion takes place and to allow things to happen the proper way. Yes, indeed. An efficient immune response requires a highly balanced uh, interactive network of effector immune cells, regulatory mechanisms, and immune-soluble factors. The cells that form the barrier between the mother and the fetus are the trophoblast cells, the future placental cells. And this embryo invasion to the maternal tissue is associated with miscarriages and obstetrical syndromes such as preeclampsia or fetal growth restriction. When the placenta suffers uh, damage um, still at the beginning of the pregnancy, but we can see those effects uh, in the second or third trimester of pregnancy. So at that point, uh, we can talk about uh, some kind of immune, maternal immune dysregulation. But this immune dysregulation could have two poles. One of of this um, implication in the implantation, in the embryo implantation, could be a lack of activation with negative signals into the maternal and fetal tolerance and impair embryo implantation or placentation, which means once the embryo shows up at the uterine lining, that embryo should be identified by the mother's immune system cells. And to do that, the embryo expresses some kind of tag identification. We call that HLAC. It's like, okay, I have several numbers here. And with those numbers, I, I, identi- I could be identified as an embryo because it's very important to, to do that identification in order to lead to a easier identification by the mother's immune system says to make sure there isn't an infected cells and it is a good cells and embryo cells. And at that point, the embryo shows those IDs in uh, the surface. And one of those IDs, one of the most important because it's very different from one embryo to the other one, uh, it's HLAC. And once the mother's immune system cells, mostly those natural killer cells, the uterine one, identify that molecules, those cells should suffer an activation in order to promote the right immune signals, to promote the right immune mechanisms in order to tolerate. Once the activation is there, 
In one hand, the mother immune system cells will send some signals to the embryo to say, hello, you are very welcome into the maternal tissue. Go here, come here, and I will show you the path and where is the stop to, to that invasion. And the other hand, the same cells will send some signals to the other mother's immune system cells to say, stay calm and keep quiet that a stranger is there into the uterine structures in order to not go out from the uterus to say the rest of the immune system, hey, this is a stranger which invades us. So the both parts are very important. One, the activation to allow the embryo to migrate, and the other one, the tolerance, inducing tolerance, to allow the embryo to stay there for 40 weeks of pregnancy. But this mechanism could suffer a dysregulation, and this illness or this dysregulation, immune dysregulation, could have a lack of activation, with the negative signals into the maternal and fetal tolerance, and as a result, an impaired embryo implantation or placentation. And on the other hand, instead of tolerance, we can see an overreactivity with an increased inflammatory uterine environment and damage of the trophoblastums. And sometimes this disbalance could happen first one, another one, and after that, the second one in the same person. Thank you. That was a, a beautiful explanation. I I wanted to ask you about a paper you you recently published about some part of this, and it was a paper on HLAC allotypes and parental HLAC allotypes as predictors of life birth rate um, and abnormal placentation. And I, I want to get a little deeper into that paper in a minute, but. Could you first walk us through a little bit, I thought it was very well explained in the paper, the relationship between the uterine natural killer cells and their KIR and the HLAC expressed on the embryo? Yeah. The complexity in the immunology of the maternal and fetal interface lies in the great variety of participating molecules. These processes and interactions that occur at different levels, we can see molecular, cellular, or tissular uh, level, and the great diversity of genetic combinations that are translated into different types of responses. We, uh, when we are talking about the interaction between the mother, uterine, and K cells, the good cells, despite of the name, and the, the, and the trophoblast cells, we are talking about of allorecognitions, which means it's an immune identif identification between two cells belonging to different bodies, to different completely individuals from a genetic point of view. And those maternal uterine NK cells uh, which are as um, director, have in their surface some receptors. The name are KIL 
key receptors from killer immune globulin-like receptors, and we can find a complexity uh, on the surface of the cells. So those uterine NK cells uh, carry those receptors on the surface, and those receptors, the key receptors, are responsible to identify that tag identification, the embryo tag identification called HLAC. So the interaction between the members of the killer immune globulin light receptors, the cure family receptors expressed by uterine NK cells binding to the trophoblast human leukocyte antigen C, which is HLAC molecules, are of particular interest because both maternal care and fetal HLAC genes are highly polymorphic, which means that there will be different maternal and fetal genetic combination in each pregnancy, even in the same couple, because the genes inherited by the embryo coming from the father or from the mother are different from an embryo to other embryo. And this embryo invasion requires specific immune activation at the maternal fetal interface, mediated by this interaction between the mother's uterine NK cell receptors, the cures, and their ligand HLAC expressed by the embryo's extravilotrophoblast cells. And you know, um, only the trophoblast cells are coming into a direct contact with the mother's immune system cells, not the fetal cells. The fetal is inside of its sac and no contact with the maternal immune system cells during the whole pregnancy. But yes, this uh, part of the embryo, the trophoblast cells, the extra trophoblast cells, which invades the maternal tissue in order to transform the spiral arteries and to form a good placenta are coming into direct contact with the maternal uterine NK cells and at the same time the HLAC coming from the trophoblast and the mother's gears. And the absence of this maternal immune activation, because at this point it is very important to have a proper immune activation induced by the key receptors, which means when the embryo shows up, it expresses some HLAC. HLAC takes contact with the mother's cures. If that contact is proper because there is a good combination, a good match between the mother's cures and the paternal mostly HLAC because it's different from a genetic point of view. If there is a good match, all those immune system will start properly in order to help the embryo invasion and to um, help the embryo to form a good placenta. But the absence of this maternal immune activation, which could be observed in some subset of women who have only inhibitor receptors on their uh, surface, the cell surface, those women, uh, depending of the father HLAC, that combination is associated with the poor embryo invasion and the poor placentation. And we are talking about the kid AA uh, women. What does it mean? 
When we are looking into the receptors expressed by the uterine NK cells, we can see some receptors are activating receptors, which means are able to induce a good activating uh, signals to the mother's immune system cells or inhibitory um, receptors, which means the contact with those inhibitory receptors will stop all these immune signals and will send the inhibitory signals. So according with the sequence of those receptors, because a woman could have only inhibitory receptors, could have a mixture between inhibitory and activating receptors, and could have mostly activating receptors. So as for a proper embryo implantation, there is a need for an immune activation the presence of the activating receptors is good for our placentation, human placentation. Too much activation is not so good because we will have a good, a big placenta with big babies or even a placenta accreta or precreta. But if, don't, if we don't have that activation, depending on the degree of inhibitory signals, we could have a very strong inhibitory signals, which happen in those women having only inhibitory receptors, we call Kireye. And those women have a particular uh, profile because depending of which kind of HLAC the embryo carries, and mostly coming from the father, or from the egg donor, there will be some activating um, responses or completely inhibitor receptors. This happens when the women uh, with that genotype, KIRAYA, which means only inhibitory receptors, um, are faced with an embryo carrying and paternal HLAC2. This is a risk combination for miscarriages because the C2, the paternal C2, will induce a very strong inhibitory signals in those women, kid AA, who have only inhibitory receptors. And the embryo won't be helped, won't be allowed to migrate properly into the maternal tissue and the result will be an impaired placentation or an impaired invasion. I see. And I believe before this paper that we're going to discuss, you've done research on this before, correct? I believe you have a paper from 2014 on this topic specifically. So we, this, this model has been described in natural pregnancy uh, related with uh, the preeclampsia or fetal growth restriction. But uh, for the first time at the end of 2014, we observed doing uh, performing um, a research and a very, very nice study. Um, we observe something completely different from everything we all thought until that moment. We observe that 
those women having those inhibitory receptors, when they receive an egg donation, so good embryos and two embryos per transfer, those women had a very low live birth rate compared to other genotypes. And that was very mm, interesting because everybody thought that, okay, if I will transfer a good embryo coming from a young woman, because I am using an egg donor and I will transfer two embryos, definitely my life birth rate should be higher. But it wasn't like that for those women, Kireye. And we observed that uh, it was even more evident when two embryos were transferred in the same, at the same way. So to recap, uterine NK cells express care which then interacts with HLAC on the invading trophoblast cells. And the, there's kind of two parts to this. Care can be A, inhibitory, or B, which is activating. And of course, you can have AA, AB, or BB. And the HLAC they bind to can then be classified into kind of two subgroups where we have C1 and C2, and C2 is really the one we, we're, we're looking at. The, the way you explain it, I think, makes perfect sense where it's the C2 that comes from not the mother or the person who's carrying the pregnancy is what we are trying to make sure we don't recognize as foreign. For example, the paternal or the egg donor C2. And it's, I find it very interesting that you did the study on, on egg donors, as you said, because it's, it's a very good model to study this because obviously we have a lot of C2 coming from somebody other than the person carrying the pregnancy, right? Both from the paternal and from the maternal side. And I thought this new study that you've done studying HLAC allotypes in order to predict life birth rate was actually very, very interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about this more recent study? We uh, started, we decided to, to start another prospective study and we selected 204 patients suffering from recurrent miscarriages. Um, those patients, we excluded the other all-known reason for recurrent miscarriages, thrombophilia, infection, uterus, abnormalities, uh, so on. So we selected that and no reason for um, recurrent miscarriages. And we performed the typing, the HLAC from the embryos, the father, um, the donor, um, and the babies, and the care, the mother's cares, and of course, the mother HLAC. So at that point, we observed that when those patients having Kireye received two embryos, and those embryos um, have an egg donor, uh, the, our life birth rate was very, very low, around 6% compared to other uh, AB or BB, which was more than 50%. And the explanation is that the assisted pregnancies differ from a natural pregnancy because these patients may receive more than one embryo per transfer and also egg donors or sperm or embryo donation are very often used. And when we transfer two embryos, this will result in an expression of more than one paternal HLAC per trophoblast cells. 
two non-self HLAC, one coming from the father and the other one from the egg donor. So, because the egg donor HLAC behaves as the paternal. So, if we transfer two embryos using egg donor, there will be four different non-self alleles that will be presented to the mother's immune system cells because all of them are genetically completely different from the surrogate mothers. And those extra HLAC will overload the maternal immune system cells. And even by allelic frequency in our population, it's more often to find at least one C2 out of four uh, non-self antigens we transfer in the same transfer. And this will induce a very strong inhibitory immune signal in those women having only inhibitory receptors, which means HIRA-A. And this study was very, very nice because we have the full information about the embryos, having the mother's HLAC, the father HLAC, and the egg donor HLAC. And we were able to observe that the higher the amount of embryo HLAC2, the lower the LIBOS rate was in those women, Akira At that point, that when we transfer two embryos using an egg donor C2C2 with a father C2C2, our LIBOS rate in those women, Kiraye, was zero, nothing. Too much strong inhibitory signals. In those couples, we observe an increased miscarriage rate and this increased LIBOS rate in those patients having Kiraye genotypes because of these transmitting inhibitory immune signals when we compare with those women, KIRA-B or BB, who have some activating receptors and they are able to activate the, in the proper immune system cells. And of course, this, um, this effect is even more evident when two embryos are transferred and even more in egg donation cycles. And the explanation is because of increasing expression on non-cells, HLAC paternal and the egg donor HLAC, because there will be four different HLAC facing the trophoblast cells at the same time. And the possibility of expressing four paternal HLAC, one inherited from the egg donor and one from the father per embryo transfer is more likely to find at least one paternal or oocyte donation HLAC2 that when the mother uses her one oocyte and single embryo transfer is performed. And of course, this extra load with increasing, by increasing the number of foreign HLAC alleles to be faced by the mother's uh, uterine immune cells could overtax maternal and fetal tolerance with a negative impact on placentation. And you know, when it's, maybe it sounds very easy, okay, there is a risk combination and the other part uh, is very easy to, to induce a good placentation. But the thing is that we are very, very, very uh, different 
from among population. If I, we are looking into December last year, to 2020, there are more than 6,300 HLAC in the human population and more than 1,000 clear genotypes. This, that's why is the reason why the effect of the embryo HLAC2 is more evident after two embryos and even more when oocyte donation is used. It's only by allelic frequency in our population is more likely to find at least one C2 allels capable to, of inducing an inhibitory signals into the mother's immune system cells. Of course, uh, this will lead to a deficient placentation when a very strong inhibitory immune signals mediated by the key aging exists. And this finding, it's, it's very important because um, we are talking about uh, two embryos, double embryo transfer. And uh, transfer with more than one embryo lead to an increased risk of pregnancy complications, not only on miscarriages, but even the great obstetric syndromes, such as preeclampsia or fetal growth restriction, especially when egg donation is used. And we know that uh, using egg donation, there is an increased risk of preeclampsia compared to natural pregnancies or, uh, or those cycles with single embryo transfer and oocytes. Wow, that is so, so interesting, right? Not only does it matter that the HLA-C and the cure ligand are, are compatible, so to speak, that it's a C1 and not a C2, but also that we don't overwhelm the system with too much C2. That is actually, I think, very, very interesting. And I wanted to ask you, I know you've been working on other things. What do you have in the pipeline? What is coming up on this same topic that you're currently working on? So right now we are performing a randomized clinical trial to see the effect of this combination in general population because the published studies observed in recurrent miscarriages population, which is a very specific population, and we have enough data who, which support the here in HLAC theory, but we don't know yet the impact into the general population. That's why we perform right now this randomized clinical trial. Hopefully in two or three years, we will have the results to see how can we change the picture regarding miscarriages, libus rate, or percentage of the risk as a preeclampsia in egg donation if we select the egg donor at the beginning according to the couple key HLAC combination. So hopefully soon we will be able to share our results. Maybe it will take a bit longer because of this COVID situation, the pandemic situation. But, okay, more soon or later, we will have those results. And uh, we will be very, very happy to, to share with uh, everybody the results about that. Wow, that's wonderful. I'm I'm looking forward, actually, to, to hearing about the results of that study. Now, with what we have so far, with what you've found in your study so far, how does this affect what we can do for patients? How does this impact patient care? 
Um, at the moment, we have enough data about uh, the implication of this Kirin HLAC system uh, coming from the natural pregnancy and even for uh, assisted reproductive techniques. And we know for sure there will be a very strict need to transfer a single embryo per transfer because those women doesn't have enough genetic background into their structures to deal with too much different strangers or different HLAC alleles. So that's why a single embryo transfer should be done mostly when we are considering an egg donation, but of course, even when we are using the oocytes, because the higher the load or the amount of mismatch HLAC into the embryo, the higher risk of miscarriages or obstetric complications as preeclampsia, and the lower our LIBOS rate is. So decreasing the number of the foreign uh, mismatch HLAC into the embryo, it's a way a simple way it's doing single embryo transfer. In the future, probably it could be selected into the embryo to prioritize the embryo HLAC1 over C2, at least in the first transfer, if we are talking about the couple where the father is C1, C2. And um, talking about egg donation, if a couple already suffered two miscarriages, of course, and we prove there is a relationship with the Kieran HLAC uh, system, of course, we need to look and select the, the right egg donor, C1 egg donor, and put back into the womb as a transfer, a single embryo transfer. This is already ready to, to be applied in our uh, routine in those couples suffering from recall miscarriages or even with preeclampsia in previous uh, egg donation pregnancy. But for the, for the general population, we are still working to, to see the real impact between the, the, the ARP, which will uh, use a random egg donor in those couples uh, having this uh, mismatch versus uh, using a proper match egg donor according with their Kirel HLAC. So at the end of that study, we will see the gap in our LIBOS rates between match or random egg donor. Definitely, there will be a strategy to be applied in the future for the platform of selection of the egg donor. And um, of course, it will be a very, very useful tool to, um, to improve our reproductive outcome, to decrease our miscarriage rate, and of course, to decrease our premature birth in neck donation, preeclampsia, and even other complications. So interesting and so, so amazing that it can already be applied and that it's already being used, which Brings me to my next question to, to finish things up, to wrap up. If you could imagine the field of, of reproductive immunology, let's say 10, 20 years from now, where, where do you think we'll be? What is, what is coming next? 
Ah, you know, I I think uh, this this field is in a continuous um, changes, and uh, we will see a lot of changes even in the, the, the next five or ten and even more in 20, 20 years, because right now we we have very useful and very specific tools. Because you know, at the beginning when we started our our talk. Uh, we we discuss uh, about uh, how at the beginning people tested in the peripheral blood just cells numbers and some basic uh, tools as cytokines because it was the tool we we had at that point and we tried to explain something happened into the uterus um, from some results coming from the peripheral blood but right now we have a very specific and very useful um, tools and immunological uh, tools and genetic tools as a transcriptomic genetic analysis and the molecules uh, could be tested not only in vitro but in vivo also using these transcriptomic models genetic models and we even uh, we are starting to do some research using organoids, which is something um, as an artificial uterus um, made for uh, discovering for, for research to understand even better and better this um, complexity of maternal immune interactions. And of course, this will be the path. And in the next years, oh, change will be, will be amazing. And we will have an amazing data coming from, from this uh, transcriptomic, genetic, and uh, organoids. Um, and the immunology we know today will be more complex. Uh, maybe, I'm sure... Uh, even more, more, more beautiful and interesting in the next ten years. That's amazing. Looking forward to it, Doctor Alexandru. Thank you so, so much for being with us today. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. This has been another episode of FertiliPod by EVRMA. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week for more research and topic discussions and all things reproductive medicine. See you next week.